Streaming live from Taos, New Mexico. Here is Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. Broadcasting live from the Safety FM studios in Orlando, Florida. Here is your host, Dr. J. Allen on Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast is brought to you by Safety Focus Moments. They're consultants that want to help you get the safety culture you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. Hopefully you're having a fantastic week so far. So over the last couple of months, we've had actually multiple interviews and some discussions related to you and an organizational performance about the Department of Energy and how the whole thing was created. So I told you at the very beginning of that particular podcast series that what we're going to do was actually come back and release the whole podcast where people can take a listen to the stories without them being edited and things to that extent. So today what we're going to do is play the interview that we had with Shane Bush. So take a listen to what Shane Bush has to say in regards of human and organizational performance, how it all started, the stuff with the Department of Energy. And then when we get to the end, I'll kind of come in real quick give you some dates and some information about what's going on in Shane's world. So enjoy the interview here today on Safety FM. Now you can hear us around the world, streaming 24-7 at safetyfm.com. So I have to tell you, over the last few days, I've been able to speak to a whole bunch of people from your past. So I I don't know if I want to start there or if that's a good or a bad spot for you. But over the last few weeks, I've been able to speak with of course, Todd. I spoke to Tony Mashera, talked to Rob Fisher, and this week I've had the privilege to speak with Earl Carnes. Oh my gosh, Earl. I haven't talked to him forever. Mm-hmm. So I guess I really am interested in what you're doing now, but also inter- really interested in some of the past stuff sure. on how you got to where you're at now. Sure. So where do you want so to start? I don't know. Start anywhere you want. Well, that would be... Well, that would be the question for you. Where do you think would be best? How did you, I guess, really, let's just start then. Where did you, how did you get involved with the whole Department of Energy? Yeah, and that, that might be the best place to, to start. So actually, uh, what happened was I had been working uh, for a contractor for the Department of Energy at the Idaho National Lab for some time. And in 2001, we had just achieved what's called star status with a uh, safety program called the Voluntary Protection Program. And that's a big deal, but it requires continuous improvement. So my management challenged me immediately to go out and find what's the next big move in safety. What's the latest and greatest? And so there was three of us that were given the assignment and we went out and benchmarked the traditional names like DuPont and others. Um, But one organization that we really felt, and by the way, I need to qualify that a little bit. They were particularly interested in human error or the fact that uh, people were making mistakes at work and we were repeating these errors and mistakes. And so while they certainly wanted it to be um, safety overall, they kind of narrowed it to maybe there's something out there to deal with all these errors we're experiencing. So as we benchmarked, we came upon an an organization called INPO, I-N-P-O, which is the Institute of Nuclear Power Operations. And they're a nonprofit organization primarily funded by commercial nuclear power plants. But um, we ended up attending one of their courses on how to manage human error. And if anybody's tracked commercial nuclear power plants, they've got an incredible run record as far as events 
versus output and and they they've done nothing but continually improved in their output and the cost of the kilowatt hour coming out of them has continually dropped safety's always gotten better so it was very intriguing so that's where we started and we took their materials which uh, were all copyrighted at the time and talked DOE into uh, a contract with Info that would allow us to take it and teach it at all of our DOE sites and so we did so we lucked out because they'd already formatted and done the studies on human error and human fallibility. And um, that's when I met Earl Carnes. And Earl Carnes was the DOE headquarters uh, representative of improvement processes. So in 2001, 2002, uh, early 2002, I happened upon Earl. And uh, at first it was just an introductory thing uh, at a meeting conference. Um, but as we had more and more success with this at the Idaho National Lab, it started getting the attention of other labs. If, if people are not familiar, uh, Dewey has numerous labs across the country from New York to California, all over. And so he called and asked if I would come back to D.C. and meet with him and did. And we kind of presented what we'd accomplished or what we'd attempted to do here in Idaho. And they wanted it repeated. So that's where Earl and I, and uh, and actually Todd, Todd was a, a real early um, start in this as well. I, I remember introducing Todd to this in 2002 or three, and he immediately uh, came aboard. And so him and I and, and Earl ran around the DOE complexes just presenting this philosophy, because human performance is really a philosophy. Now, it has a methodology to it, but and honestly, that's how it started. So we started running around, and Todd and I, Probably in the funnest two years I can remember in facilitating courses was with Todd. That guy is incredible to facilitate with. But anyway, we ran around and um, got a lot of people on board and had some success with it. And then I started getting requests outside of DOE, which is a kind of a conflict of interest for me to uh, do in some cases because some of the customers were doing work for DOE, but in other cases not. So. In about 2005, I decided to go on my own and uh, actually um, went on a three-year sabbatical from the DOE world and started my little consulting business. My wife and I did, by the way. And uh, and then it really took off because it was about that time frame. Um, I was primarily doing, because it was copyrighted material, people that were related to DOE or who could uh, use it, like commercial nuclear power plants. Uh, but then all of a sudden DOE decided to put out a human performance manual and uh, which makes it all, uh, as far as the public makes it all, uh, available to anybody because it's, uh, now considered, uh, general information. Uh, I can't remember the term for that right now, but public domain, there you go, public domain. And <laughs> so then my world really opened up. In fact, I can remember getting a copy of the DOE manual in June from Earl Carnes with a little sticky note on it saying Merry Christmas. And I knew exactly what he meant because <laughs> all of a sudden then I could go to the Chevrons and the BP oils and Schwann Foods and Disney World. And, and we could just start presenting this to anybody and everybody because it was public domain. And that's probably um, the, the neatest thing about this. And Todd's the same way. Um, but a lot of us, uh, we, we give everything away that we've developed because honestly, we just took what was already there and have created additional materials or given it our own spin. Or So the human performance world is, is pretty open with their materials. Now, there's some good products out there that you can buy. Um, and if you're in the need of it, I certainly would encourage it. But the good news is 
you can get most of the introductory material just off the web. And so um, anybody can get into this uh, with nothing more than downloading DOE's manuals. But it really took off. Um, it was amazing. Todd and I, we've done work quite a bit together with Chevron. And in fact, we were hanging out in Bangkok last year, um, and him and uh, my wife and I, and uh, getting ready to go to Singapore to do a job. And we were just talking about, man, this has been such an amazing ride. Who would have thought these as in Todd's words, country pumpkins uh, or bunkins would end up out uh, running around to obviously Singapore and Germany and Italy and all these different places. And Todd even does a lot more foreign work than I do. But uh, so, well, let me ask you a question right there, if you don't, if if you don't mind. So as, as you're going down the path and this is being developed and everything is going forward, are you seeing the opportunity on what this is going to become later down the road? Or are you just going department of energy you know, organization to organization within the DOE, quote unquote, and just thinking this is only going to be a nuclear power plant thing before you get end up getting the, we'll say the Merry Christmas gift from Earl Carnes. You know, that's a really good question because honestly, uh, and I'm not sure how it got pigeonholed this way, but uh, quite a few people had the um, impression that human performance was about people in nuclear power plants turning valves, flipping switches, and and we don't have a nuclear reactor chain. And by the way, we don't even have these big uh, operations like Chevron. And but they they totally misunderstood the message. And so the message is, if you have humans working in your process, I guarantee you, you can use this philosophy because everybody makes errors and mistakes. And when we started communicating that, uh, I, I give them my examples. I used to be a human resource manager in which one of my employees sent an offer to the wrong candidate. Now, that's nothing to do with safety, but I'm telling you, that's a pretty bad day when you got to call someone and retract <laughs> an offer. Um, so I started using a, and, and there's two terms we quite often use physical plant touchers and paper plant touchers, and they're exactly what they're inferring. Physical plant touchers are the people out in the field that push the buttons and flip the switches, but the paper plant touchers um, have a lot more of an influence on the overall output because of the procedures and guidelines and how they engineer it and the the scheduling they put out. If they don't understand the limitations of human nature uh, and don't study that and integrate it into the process, then I don't care how good you are, you're going to make errors and mistakes in the field. So yeah, it started off as just running around to the DOE facilities and then all of a sudden we kind of rephrased it or or actually uh, put it in a format that anybody could, I went to Schwann Foods with this thing, uh, and as I mentioned, Disney and uh, Bell Helicopter, and every one of them could see a fit for not only the people that are turning the wrench, but for the people that are actually designing or writing procedures, and then the world exploded. Um, quite often people will ask, how did we end up in Italy or Germany or Sweden? Or, And I honestly don't know, because up until about a year and a half ago, we didn't even have a homepage. We've been running purely off of word of mouth. Um, now, we know, of course, who called us to come over, but we don't know who gave them the word that gave the other person the word. That So it's it's been such a treat to watch this thing flourish, not only within DOE, uh, but in numerous industries. Todd and I both spend a lot of time in electrical distribution uh, companies and uh, big, big giants like your BP oils and Chevrons, but we also spend time with little companies that uh, are wanting to reduce it. So it did start off pretty pigeonholed, but I, I, I'm i pretty sure, in fact, I'd have to say that if you were to ask most people that's been through my course or Todd's course, uh, they would no doubt see that, that this has become a business initiative, and that's how we sell it. it if I get a chance before senior management, um, 
for about an hour or so, they easily see how this isn't applicable to just safety or quality or it's applicable to all of it. So it becomes a business initiative. Well, as you look at that and you're doing this as a business initiative, when you get that initial call where, where you're saying a few years back, you weren't sure where they were coming from, meaning on how they got the information. When you do the initial and you walk in, are you talking to C-suite level people and you're having the discussion there yeah, on how this is going to apply? 90% of the time, not always, but 90% of the time, uh, somehow they've heard about human performance and I get invited into the C-suite and I would say 90% of those invitations uh, the initial visit is about safety. So safety is such a popular topic because everybody's concerned about it and everybody wants to improve. But like I said, it, it, if, if you can give me at least an hour. Now, if they offer a 30-minute presentation, I usually decline it because I, I can do more damage in 30 minutes than good. But if you give me an hour or two, <laughs> I can give them enough examples. And especially now that Todd and I have ran around to so many industries showing uh, incredible improvement in output versus unwanted outcomes and how you can uh, fail safely and how you can actually not only get better at safety, but with the exact same tools and with the exact same philosophy, get better at quality and get better at output. And so the companies that understand that, um, they really take it on. Uh, but by traditional, the, traditionally how it works, I come in with the C-suite, they listen to me, and then I've done this long enough that it takes about four months. And in about four months, about 70%, I'd say 80% of the people I present to, I get a call back and they want a one-day class for just below C-suite, the decision makers, those that are you know, evaluated. And then after that, it's whatever they want. Our most uh, common request is a three-day practitioner class that my wife and I instruct uh, because it's certified, not certified, that's the wrong word. It has been... Um, CEUs. Uh, well, the University of Idaho mm -hmm. has right. approved it for um, not only CEUs, but actually for credits because I'm an adjunct professor with U of I. So the three-day okay. practitioner class is typically what I go out and do now. And, and in fact, Todd and I, Todd's got a PhD in this, and, and then he's uh, really good at getting the C-suite bought in and the philosophy. They call me the nuts and bolts guy. So after Todd, or, or I for that matter, get the C-suite bought in, then we usually follow it up with a, okay, how does this actually work? But Well, see, the fun part, the fun part is that I've actually been taking a look at some of the older material that's yeah. out there, and I've been <laughs> able to actually get a hold of the actual original trainer uh, documents. Oh, really? So imagine how... Oh yes, <laughs> a lot of pull there, but was able to get was able to get it. Wow! And your name and Todd's name are out there, yeah. and I was kind of surprised. And of course, the, the way that I received it, I was told that that you you guys were both the face of the training, and it's just interesting looking at what it was back then yeah. to what it is now. Oh, isn't that and well, it is interesting because I mean, some of the wording changes, yeah. but the concepts are pretty much the yeah. same. And I know that everybody kind of puts their own spin as you were referencing yeah. on there. Now, do you still feel that it's going down the same original trajectory that it started off on? Or do you think that it's taking some some twists and turns as we've been, we've been down this road? You know, that's, a, again, a really good question. So here's my take on that. And, I, and I've been saying this for a while, but to me, the best years of human performance are always five years out. And the reason I say that is because we are learning so much. Um, in the early days, I, I honestly didn't even know what I was saying in explaining the performance modes because I've learned so much about performance modes, which is basically the mindset or the mental model people use. Uh, Todd and I quite often look at each other and like, what did we even say back then? Because we learned so much. So has it changed? No. Has it improved? Absolutely. Has it actually 
taken on a life of its own as far as uh, taking it from reducing errors to actually increasing significant production by learning how to fail safely. And it's the, the new way of looking at human error because originally it was all about eliminating human error. Eliminate it or at least eliminate the consequences of it. Now what we're doing is we still don't – we always got to stick to the, the fundamentals. And that's the thing I always judge people's presentations against. Are you sticking to the fundamentals but telling us how we can improve that? And if, if, if they're sticking to the fundamentals, then I'm real interested. But if they've taken it in a whole new direction and got different terms and different um, – then I'm concerned because, as you know, with anything, once it starts morphing, then it just doesn't look the same. But the people that are doing the best with this, the Conklins of the world, Michelle and all them, are the ones that are now taking human performance from not just reducing unwanted outcomes related to human error, but they're increasing human ingenuity. Now, that is a really large leap. So now what we're seeing is companies not only eliminating, but they're actually providing safeguards. We call them rumble strips, a term Todd coined on the interstates. We give them (laughs) rumble strips and then... It's amazing the fixes the employees can come up with. Uh, so we let them fail safely. And then those companies that actually look at it from that perspective, rather than zero accidents, zero incidents, are actually having better success than those focusing just on the outcome. So as you look at this then, and people are doing their new spin, as you, as you put there, but you want to make sure that they're staying to the fundamentals. What do you think about all these different wordings as some people call it HP, some people call it HPI, some people call it human and organizational performance, yeah. some people call it safety differently. <laughs> do you think name matters or what do you, what, what is your belief? I mean, you're one of the originators, so yeah. I think that you have a lot more pull when you, you say, well, this is what it should be. And this is how we go forward. And I know that HPI is tied into some of the titling on what you use. So I kind of know where you're going to maybe go, but we'll see how this ends up. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, it uh, again, uh, an HPI, human performance improvement, is actually what DOE, Ty and Earl, decided to call it. Because if you go back to the source, so we're guilty, by the way, as well, because it originally was called HU. And the U was small because in the commercial nuclear power plant world, HP already was an overused acronym for health physics. And U was supposed to be just the first two words of human. And it was like people were so confused on what's HU. And the U became capitalized after a while, which means there should be an acronym there and there wasn't. So we we decidedly uh, together says we need to follow the principles of HPI, which is be clear about what this is. So we called it HPI. So that's a DOE coined phrase. And then, of course, you got HOP, human and organizational performance. You got uh, safety differently. Honestly, those it's it's like any other message out there. If you can get people's interest by taking them to the next level with safety differently, in other words, failing safely versus don't fail at all, and you stick to the fundamental philosophy, I'm fine with that. That is a natural maturity path to follow. Now, if you call it something different and start using different terms because I don't like the error precursors or I don't like this just culture stuff, so we're going to call it, you know, everybody's happy, I, I then have concerns. And here's why. Because a lot of people, when they say human performance improvement, can we change the name because people think you're trying to improve them. And my mindset has always been this. I would rather explain to them one time what HPI stands for and what the philosophy is rather than every single time I teach a class try to justify why we changed the name because if they truly understand the philosophy they don't care what you call it and and by changing the title now you got exactly what you just said to me well is it hop or is it hu is it what is it so 
this is personal choice. I am no judge of anybody else, but my judgment is I'll always call it HPI for the rest of my career um, because there's so much material out there that talks about human performance. But again, I am not dogging anyone. If they feel like the change is uh, significant in improving, have at it. But again, I'm, I'm of the mindset, explain once, and then you can read anything you want about it rather than explain it each and every time as to why you changed the name. Well, do you feel that some people have actually done the name change for the purposes of them being able to trademark it or oh, copyright sure it? That that, and, yeah. and I'm asking, an and it's an opinion question, sure. not a, we're not, we're not trying to, to throw crap at anyone. I'm just asking a general no, question. I, get it. I really do. And, and by the way, I, I, I think, you know, if, if they come up with a product that is a little better way to approach part of the process or all of the process and and they put a lot of time and effort in it should they be rewarded absolutely they should be rewarded as far as taking on the name and creating a particular approach to this that might be different than mine or todd's or tony's absolutely i i i believe in in free trade and i believe in in the fact that um if you go out there and, and work really hard and produce a product that you believe and by the way the telltale signs are whether they invite you back so if you're selling a product and they're inviting you back and you happen to change the name so you can make a little better living at it, I I mean, more power to you. I, I have been so lucky because Todd and I and others, we've been compensated well. And so um, as far as creating a product, what we have found is by giving our stuff away, people quite often ask me, Shane, why do you give it all away? The fact that you were able to go out there and search on the Internet and get everything that I've ever put out. Um, well, what I found is by me giving it away, I actually increase customers significantly um, because people talk and they talk and other people talk. And so this swimming pool, a lot of people think of uh, human performance like uh, a, a limited amount of work out there. Well, that's ridiculous because in the United States, if I had to guess, I would guess that less than 5% of the company population of the United States has ever even heard of this. I mean, there is so much opportunity out there that by sharing materials with them uh, and, and again, without any homepage or anything, I've stayed booked eight to nine months out for 15 years. So, well, the interesting part with your stuff is I have to tell you, yours is one of the only classes that I've been to that right at the very beginning of the class, you're going, OK, here's the Department of Energy's handbook, volume one, volume two. Yeah. And the majority of other classes that I have attended they do not reference that no, immediately and, and you don't and you don't waste any time it's boom it's good to go yeah and and again the reason i do that is because i don't want them well two things i want them to hopefully see that as being credible but you know, we spend a lot of time and effort in putting this together so um and and then the other thing is so that they would know i don't have to write down every single thing Shane does and try to keep up with this and and that they can go back and at the appropriate time and place they can read it at their leisure and everything, hopefully, that I said in those three days is reinforced. Okay. Well, and then I guess let me ask kind of just some backstory questions, if you don't mind, because as I've gone down this path, really doing a lot of research and the different people that have been involved with this, there's a name that comes up and it doesn't come up often, but it does come up from time to time. Who exactly is Lamar Palmer? Oh, man, Lamar Palmer. I'll be honest with you, of all the unsung heroes in the human performance world is Lamar Palmer. Um, that that man, if it wasn't for him, neither Todd uh, or I or a lot of other people 
would have not had the success. So his role, what happened is when Earl Carnes and Ian Todd uh, were running around the country teaching classes and DOE really started buying into this, they decided, well, let's produce some DOE manuals so we don't have to keep referencing commercial nuclear power plants. And by the way, some people are turned off as soon as you say commercial nuclear power plants because like, oh man, triple redundancy, you're going <laughs> to pack on the defenses, you're going to... And so I'm careful in how I use it. I use it, but I'm careful in the audience. So DOE wanted to have DOE spin. So what they did is they took all of Info's material and basically gave it a, a DOE twist rather than events. They'd call them occurrences rather than, um, uh, again, talking about um, uh, the nuclear power plant uh, statistics. They talked about DOE statistics. But Lamar Palmer was the author of both the DOE book one and two. And very few people know that. In fact, I just um, ran into him up. He's, he's retired in the Tri-Cities right now. And I mentioned to him that I have handed... I call it his manual because that's just a term of endearment for me because this man had so much to do with my career and my success. But I tell him, uh, Lamar, unbeknownst to you, this manual is in 17 countries I've been in. And I know Todd references it quite a bit, but he was and, – and I've done work in 44 of the 50 states, many of them numerous times. And I always hand it out. I'm getting ready to go to Louisiana next week. I'll hand out the Dewey manual. I do my biggest classes. I hand out the Dewey manual. And uh, it was so cool because the man almost got a tear in his eye. And he says, you know, all these years I've wondered, did I really make a difference? Did I really make a difference? And it was so sad to me because I, I assumed he knew. But he put his heart and soul into that manual, and his name doesn't appear anywhere. But in my opinion, I put him next to Earl Carnes at the top of the list as to why we've, as a community of practice, had such success. So when this was being put together amongst the group, do you feel that it was more of people helping people as this was actually being put together? Or what is your general consensus from the time? And I know that we're going years back. No, that's all right. Um, honestly, it was people helping people. In fact, it was so interesting because if you find something that you really are passionate about, and it's it's interesting, and I'm not sure what the conversations were like with the people you mentioned at the beginning of this, but just about every person I know that's been successful with human performance is because they have a passion for it. And that comes across real quickly. I mean, if you're trying to teach something you don't believe in, you're going to be found out very quickly. And so the reward wasn't in the compensation for teaching the class. And I know this sounds warm and fuzzy and all that, but it's true. The reward comes watching people's mindset change, watching them look at things differently, sending me emails two weeks later saying, holy mackerel, I, I, I just never looked at the way. In fact, you've changed the way we look at everything at work now. And the just culture has changed the environment and people are uh, I'm more willing to talk in the work environment. So now, don't get me wrong. I don't do this for free. Um, I, I am compensated, but I have to tell you that after a while, if if you truly don't believe in your product, you're going to have a crisis of conscience because you're out there trying to sell something that you don't believe in. It will never work. So we did. We handed it to everybody else, and and that kind of started us off with this whole sharing thing. When I got uh, when I left the INL for that three-year leave, uh, one of the coolest things that happened to me is uh, I wasn't in the union at the time. I was in the union years ago. But uh, they showed up at my doorstep after I'd given my notice and walked away and everything and gave me a gold watch. This is from the union. And on the back of it, it said, engraved, friends of the worker. And I thought, dang, how, how? – and my dad was a, a – um, blue-collar worker his whole life. Now, my dad died when I was really young, but I have to admit, every time I go to these plants and these big things and 
and I always think of my dad, but um, what, what better compliment can you get than that? Friends of the worker, really? Trying to help them and at the same time getting the same compliments from senior managers? Um, I don't know. That's, ama- that's amazing. That's amazing. It's just a win-win. Now, Shane, do you believe that we're going down the correct path currently with some uh, on how some of these things are working? I mean, I know that re- earlier this week, um, there was some, a group of people that got together and they put out a website called hophub.org and it's a consortium of information and they've released it now to the general public. Is this the way that it should have been all along? Is that how you know, your general I, feeling? Because they're giving it away? Uh, and honestly, I, 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 am, I, I haven't even looked in that in detail because I am so busy with my own stuff but i i am one voice and and if it's an opinion let's make sure that people understand this is an opinion not you know oh but don't undersell yourself you are a very important voice inside of this i mean i know that we can say it's one voice but it's a one voice that has a lot of influence on where this has been and where it's going so let i would i i love you being humble but let's be realistic too well and i appreciate that but but honestly if it, here's here's what I see happening is I consider uh, myself and 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 I'm fifty. How old am I? Fifty uh, fifty seven or fifty eight? <laughs> That's an error. Uh, but I'm going to be leaving soon. And if we don't make sure that this process is brought up to speed for the millennials and the X's and the Y's, whether it's electronic, whether it's on a server, whether it's an app, whether it's then it's going to die. So power, all power to them. If they can take this and by modifying it and by putting out a website and uh, keeping the interest uh, via technology, because if you don't update, uh, you're going to, um, again, date yourself as far as uh, influencing. And, and honestly, I, I, it's crazy because I each class now I'm asking when I use examples or references, um, I'm asking people, Anybody remember Paul Harvey or anybody remember? And I'm getting about half the class now not raising their hand. And so I have a big decision to make. Do I take a lot of time and update all my stuff to the current or do I just bow out like Johnny Carson did and leave on top? And I think it's going to be. A- well, I think I think you can leave on top, but I don't think it's time yet. I don't well, think you're close on time yeah. uh, on time on leaving. I think you, I think you have a several more years in you. But that's, of course, your choice. Well, and and and, and what I've done so that I could keep that choice is hired my daughter and hired my nephew and we're putting out now the electronic version of the worksheet and i'm not sure if i gave that to you when you took it but um but we're taking that to another level now to where it automatically uh does the syncing with the corrective actions without you even knowing it by the causal code you pick and stuff so i'm trying to make sure to stay up at least to the point where i can stay credible in the eyes of the customer and so far the the feedback has been Yes, that I am. Now, again, at the appropriate time, uh, I'd love to hand this off to the next generation and uh, and have them take it. And as long as they can stick to the philosophy, and that's the critical thing, as long as you can stick to that original philosophy of what this is about, then I think there's numerous ways that this can be presented and be very, very effective. Now, you used a terminology when you were giving that description right there, and I've heard it several times during the different conversations that I've had, and you referenced to this as a technology. Yeah. Why is that a particular reference well, that the ori- the originators use on speaking about this? Yes, and, and, and this is why I do. Now, again, um, it's an interesting, well, I don't know if everybody knows or if anybody knows, but I still am tied to the Idaho National Lab. In fact, I am um, 
going to retire from them in a year. So I'm, I'm filling two shoes. Now, I don't want people to get confused. When I'm out consulting, I represent myself. I don't represent the OE. But, but all, a lot of the original studies on human error, error rates, mistakes, mental models, it all originated here at the Idaho National Lab with our human factors folks. They, they're the ones that had the contract with the Nuclear Regulatory Commission to study human errors related to nuke plants and all that. So it was a technology that was developed here through simulation and through control room simulations and stuff, then realized that, okay, let's take this technology and let's disperse it. And if you, again, look at commercial nuclear power plants, success rate is incredible, but it's a technology that shows you how to implement the philosophy. That, that's the twist that people get kind of wrapped up in is it's definitely a philosophy in the sense that you're looking at the world differently. But believe me, you, it wasn't just made up. It was tested and it was practiced and it was redone and it was practiced and it was tested. And so if you go back to the original, original studies of Harold Blackman and, and a lot of the folks that were involved in those original studies, uh, they were developing a technology, but they had to learn how to sell it to uh, the, the the process so it turned into selling them a new look or a new philosophy so it's both and and i've always said this is a it's a philosophy with a methodology so the methodology to me is equivalent to technology or the fact that it was you know produced here by a very high competent technological group shane what do you have coming up next um uh we're headed over to africa that's our big thing um obviously we're doing our routine things we're headed down to to uh, Louisiana and, and so forth. But uh, then we're doing, of course, our Vegas classes, which are growing and growing and, and adding things to that. If you, if you want to talk about keeping up, we're uh, doing the HBase Super Grid, which we're getting really good feedback on. But um, yeah, the next thing that we're going to do as far as Bushco, my company, is rolling out the new electronic process. So hopefully by the end of the year, uh, in order to keep up with the exactly what you just asked about, how do you keep uh, up with the technology and not lose your edge? So I am working with my nephew, who is one of the smartest people I know. Uh, he's a programmer. And I'm really excited because uh, I think this will get another level of buy-in uh, from the younger crowd or, and not just the younger crowd, but from those that it'll simplify the process so much more. Having said that, my personal opinion is if you don't understand the, the if you don't understand the philosophy and have read the books, then don't use the electronic process because it's going to help you, but you better know the background or you can still mess it up. So, but that's our big thing. We're hoping to roll it out and, and um, over the next couple of years, get feedback and improve it, improve it, get feedback. But, and I'm not sure who we're going to pilot it with. I have um, worked a lot with Dom Tar Paper uh, up in Canada in particular, uh, Eric um, Ashby up there and a couple of others, Michelle Paquette and others that have really put a lot of time and effort into this have worked hard with me and I need to give them credit in helping me put together this electronic process. But, uh, so that's our big thing that's coming up. But Now, Shane, if the listeners want to know more information about you, where can they go? You know, two things, one of them, um, and honestly the best is just Google my name, T Shane Bush. And, and that's the one thing they need to remember is my first name is Timothy. Uh, but I do go by my middle name, Shane. And so there's an initial in there and, I don't know if I did it in your class, but I typically tell people that don't know that the T stands for the, but of course that's a joke. That's a joke. That's a, joke. <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> but 
But anyway, my homepage, uh, I mean, you can definitely learn from my homepage, but it is primarily intended, bushcohpi.com, it's primarily intended uh, for participants in the biggest open enrollment classes. The DOE books are there. A lot of my presentations are there. You can have anything you want. I mean, I've opened it up to the public where they can download my senior management presentation, the three-day practitioner, anything you want. The DOE books are all there. Um, and and I got to make mention of that. Some people are just not going to have the time or funds to attend you know, any of the people's courses you mentioned. Don't let that stop. You get the DOE books and do a self-study. If you get DOE book one and just start and take off reading through it, uh, man, you can learn an awful lot without having to have an instructor there. Now, mind you, uh, you'll eventually have questions, but don't let that stop you just because you can't afford or don't have time to attend a course. It's just too good of stuff. I mean... Well, Shane, I do appreciate you coming on to Safety FM. No problem. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, and I hope that uh, people, whether or not I ever hear from them myself, doesn't matter. I hope they at least take the DOE book one and read it and see if it's uh, something that they can use because it's good stuff. It's really good stuff. SafetyFM.com So what did you think? Did you like the interview? Shane's such a great and charismatic guy. Glad that he was able to share so much information with us in regards of how the books with the Department of Energy were actually built out. So if you're actually in Las Vegas in the month of November, let's cover a couple of things coming on with um, actual Shane in regards to some of the classes that he's doing. So he has a two-day human performance improvement advanced course that is taking place in Las Vegas in the month of November. And that class will actually take place on November the 18th through the 19th. That's November the 18th through the 19th. And that's taking place in Las Vegas. And then he has a, a University of Idaho three-day human performance improvement practitioner certificate course that actually has three CEUs available. That's also taking place in November. And that will be occurring on November the 12th through November the 15th. That's November the 12th through November the 15th. If you want more information on that, go to bushcohpi.com. That is bushcohpi.com. Hopefully you enjoyed the show. For now, I have been your safety manager and host, Jay Allen. And until next time, be safe. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.